Welcome to the September 2023 edition of Money Letter on Markets. I'm Brian Kelly, publisher of the Money Letter. Let's get started. As usual, we'll start the September podcast with our featured fund of the month. It's Invesco India ETF. The ticker is PIN. That's P as in Peter, I as in Indigo, and N as in Nancy. This is an interesting fund as we see opportunity in the emerging markets outside of China when we look ahead. If you recall, we profiled Vanguard Emerging Markets Select Stock Index last month. Invesco India ETF is currently ranked number 17 out of 154 international stock funds in our database as of August 31st. This fund is well diversified at an industry level with 15.8% in technology, 15.6% in financial services, 14% in energy, 12.2% in basic materials, and 11% in consumer cyclicals. So as you can see, its assets are well diversified. Here are the top five holdings as of August 27th. Reliance Industries, 9.8%. Infosys, 6.1%. Tata Consultancy Services, 4.2%. Hindustan Unilever, 2.8, and Axis Bank, 2.8. As far as performance is concerned, the year-to-date return is 9.8%, that's to the good, through August 28th. Longer term, the five-year return annualized is 7%, 7 7.0%. The 10-year return on an annualized basis is 10.8%. And that's well ahead of the more broadly diversified iShares EFA ETF. For more information on this fund, that's Invesco India ETF, go to Invesco.com or call 800-959-4246. That's 800-959-4246. In our second item, we're going to look at the September issue of Money Letter, uh, which just came out. Uh, On pages one and two, we have a feature article describing the expectations battle that's going on with investors and how it might affect Fed policy. We also take a closer look at the economic soft landing scenario. On pages three, four, and five, we have our model portfolios. And while August was a negative month, mildly negative month for the models, the year-to-date returns are all solid and some are in double digits. The best performing model we have is the Fidelity Venturesome model, which is up 12.4% for the year-to-date through August 31st. On pages 6 through 10, we have our comprehensive data for hundreds of funds and ETFs. So you get the total returns of those through the end of August, as well as risk measures and uh, our our own uh, rankings, our own uh, proprietary rankings. On page 11 in our cautious investor corner, we have top yielding money funds from iMoneyNet's money fund report and multi-year guaranteed annuities rates. You can find there more than a dozen ultra-safe money funds with yields currently above 5%. And on page 12, we dive into long-term care insurance and whether it makes sense for you or your family. Asset Strategies Insurance Manager Greg Killalay takes us through those high points. 
So that's it for the September issue of Money Letter. Uh, right now we're going to take a look at the article from Money Letter's blog section. And this originally appeared in the New York Times. It's entitled, Why Bonds Are Still Essential Investments. And this is topical because in the Money Letter, also in September, we talked about how subscribers should fund their bond allocations um, as a way to diversify their models. Why bonds are still essential investments. Give the stock market half a chance and it will dominate the financial headlines. That was certainly the case for the month of July, with the S&P 500 powering upward and bonds barely treading water. But August has been different, with the stock market hitting a speed bump and the bond market getting attention for an unwelcome reason, a downgrade of U.S. Treasury debt by the Fitch Ratings Agency. Fitch says the deterioration in political consensus and the increasing debt levels of the United States mean that it no longer ranks unequivocally as among the safest places to invest in the world. That's significant, because the enduring appeal of bonds comes from their relative safety and not from spectacular gains and losses that define the stock market's flamboyant brand. The Fitch downgrade can't be easily dismissed. Yet it makes sense to hold U.S. debt anyway, despite tremors in the bond market. You may not think much about bonds, but there's a good chance that you have a stake in them, if only indirectly. Through a fund, especially in a workplace-defined contribution retirement account, like a 401k, or through a pension or an annuity. Because bonds are so often overlooked, it's worth going over some basics. Stocks versus bonds. Stocks are inheritively, inherently speculative. They provide fractional ownership of a company and are a bet that the value of your shares will appreciate. Often you get dividends, but a company isn't required to pay them. Bonds, on the other hand, are a loan to a company or a government, like the United States, which is generally obligated to pay you interest and at a certain date repay your principal too. Should a company or a country run into financial trouble, bondholders customarily have high status among creditors. These features typically make bonds less risky than stocks. But bonds contain a speculative element too. Even the safest bonds do. The conventional wisdom is that U.S. Treasuries are the safest bonds, a claim that has given them an exalted status as the benchmark from which all other asset values may be measured. The quote-unquote risk-free rate provided by Treasuries is used in finance as the hurdle that every other investment a stock or a capital project or a buyout of a private company, must clear to be deemed even minimally viable as a place to put your money. U.S. Treasuries constitute an extraordinarily deep and nimble $25.1 trillion market. It's no exaggeration to say that the entire world's financial system is based on U.S. Treasuries and calibrated against Treasury rates. That's still the case. But it's difficult to assert with a straight face that U.S. Treasuries are really risk-free, not after the losses in the bond market last year, or the perils of Pauline brushes with disaster in multiple debt ceiling crises. The Fitch debt downgrade is a reasonable response to those crises. Interest rate risk. Investors in high-quality bonds, and especially Treasuries, face two significant problems interest rate risk, and credit risk. To understand interest rate risk, recall that bond prices and interest rates, aka yields, move in opposite directions. That's how bonds work. 
in 2013, when it looked like rates were rising, the Securities and Exchange Commission issued a bulletin on interest rate risk, which I thought was particularly apt, comparing bond prices and interest rates to the two ends of the playground seesaw, or teeter-totter if you're from the Midwest. When one side rises, the other falls. Every child in the playground learns that soon enough. Bond investors do too. Last year, the seesaw crashed. Because of soaring inflation and the Federal Reserve's effort to curb it by raising short-term rates, bond market rates rose and prices plummeted. It was the worst year for bond investors since the 1920s, and probably much longer, as I wrote in late 2022. But now, with yields already much higher than they have been for most of the past decade, most rose a bit after a government report on Thursday showed that core inflation was still sizzling at 4.7% a year. A repetition of last year's severe bond losses is extremely like unlikely. Yes, yields could still rise further if inflation remains high, and that could lead to modest short-term losses in bond funds, or, if you trade them, in individual bonds. That's especially true for bonds with longer maturities. Inflation's not the only problem. The U.S. Treasury is pouring new debt into the market while the Fed, which had been the biggest domestic purchaser of treasuries, has gotten out of that game as it tightens financial conditions to fight inflation. The appetites of China and Japan, big foreign buyers of treasuries, may be diminishing. These incremental shifts in supply and demand may well increase rates marginally and depress prices. All of this is why money market funds, which track interest rate shifts closely and do not decline in price when yields rise, may be a better short-term bet than bonds for the next month or two, while with money market yields well above 5%. Even so, with the benchmark 10-year Treasury already above 4%, bond yields are high enough to provide a buffer and substantial enough for high-quality bonds to perform their traditional functions, generating income and providing a counterweight to stocks. But that brings us to credit risk and the Fitch downgrade. What about the downgrade? High-yield bonds self-evidently entail credit risk. They are called junk bonds for a reason. Companies are forced to pay higher yields precisely because of the risk that they won't make good on their debt. If you can accept the risk and do some research, or have a prudent manager do it for you, junk bonds can be a lucrative investment, much like stocks. But I'm focusing here on using bonds for their traditional purpose as a relatively stable income provider, offsetting the volatility of stocks. Investment-grade bonds, either corporate or government, are good choices. Inflation-adjusted bonds and municipal bonds can be worthwhile too, but I'll discuss them another day. The safest of U.S. bonds are still treasuries, in my view, though Microsoft and Johnson & Johnson bonds have higher credit ratings. But would those companies be a great credit risk if the U.S. government defaulted on its debt? I have my doubts. Many countries now have better credit ratings than the United States, including Australia, Denmark, Germany, Norway, Singapore, Sweden, and Switzerland. The United States still has a pristine grade from Moody's. Standard & Poor's downgraded U.S. debt one notch in 2011, and Fitch followed suit this month. I fully expect Moody's to do the same one day, 
if the United States continues to flirt with debt default. The issue is governance, not financial stress. As Jamie Dimon, the chief executive of J.P. Morgan Chase, says, the United States remains the most powerful economy and country in the world. The global bond market is willing and able to absorb all of the debt that is being issued by the U.S. Treasury. Yet the core problem is profound. The political system in the United States has become sufficiently dysfunctional that fiscal policy is an exercise in brinksmanship. The specter of a debt default is no longer unthinkable. How much money the United States should spend and how much it should raise through taxation, and by taxing whom exactly, have always been difficult issues. But bipartisan compromises have become rare achievements in Washington. If Fitch didn't provide new information, it set off a warning flag. U.S. credit is still strong, though not as great as it once was. Treasuries remain essential in nearly everyone's portfolio. But until a semblance of consensus on fiscal matters is restored, the world will be bearing unnecessary risk. Our last item for the podcast is our upcoming events segment. And we have a webinar that's coming up on Wednesday, September 13th from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And it's entitled Investing Basics. And this is an event that's a service of Asset Strategy, Money Letter Sister Company, and it's in conjunction with BlackRock. And the agenda for that webinar, um, here are three items that they will be covering, explaining key terms. Our experienced speakers will break down essential investment terms and concepts, ensuring you grasp the fundamentals that underpin successful investing. The next item is building a portfolio. Creating a diversified investment portfolio is key to to long-term financial success in our opinion. Learn how to strategically allocate your assets and manage risk to achieve your financial goals. And the final item is exploring investment account types. You can discover the different types of investment accounts available and find out which ones align with your investment objectives and preferences. So once again, that webinar is on Wednesday, September 13th from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Time. It's called Investing Basics. And to register, you can go to assetstrategy.com forward slash events. That's assetstrategy.com forward slash events. That's it for the September issue of Money Letter on Markets. We appreciate you listening to our podcast, as always. And we look forward to getting together with you again next month.